Hey, Anna, remember that time Agatha Christie was the first British woman to surf standing up? time and historical podcast i am your host anna webb and i'm your host amanda webb this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all of their favorite moments in history and i'm back this week it's my turn finally i'm having a similar week to the week that i was not able to do it last time but i pulled it out this time everything (laughs) is fine (laughs) i am prepared (laughs) we're gonna talk about agatha christie and i'm hype yeah um, I love Agatha Christie, but there's definitely a lot I don't know about her. So she has a fascinating life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a fascinating life. Shall we drink update before we begin? Sure, I'm drinking red wine. Love that. I'm drinking a banana pancake <gasps> coffee. What? Oh, yeah, it's a latte from the coffee shop in town. Yeah, that sounds yes. good. It's delicious. I got it iced this summer, but it's like so freezing today that I got it hot. It's delicious. Mm. It's so good. Um, and also water on standby because the coffee's <laughs> almost done and I will need it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Should we go ahead and get started with Agatha Christie? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. So Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller. Lots of names. Yep. Uh, is born on September 15th, 1890 in Torquay, Devon, to Fred and Clara Miller. Okay. Before we <laughs> even talk about Agatha, I need to talk about how her parents got together because it's wild. Okay. This so, sounds promising. Her mother, Clara. Clara's father dies in 1863. Hey, that's when we became a state in West Virginia. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. Woohoo. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Which leaves Clara's mother to raise her and her three brothers on her own. Wait. Okay. Yes, got it. Sorry, I had already lost track. (laughs) Go ahead. Clara's aunt, Margaret, marries Nathaniel Miller and agrees to foster Clara. So the mother's husband dies. She's left with these kids. Her sister gets married and says, we will foster our niece. Just her, though? Yeah, I think the boys were probably older or uh, were uh, old okay. enough that they were, like, maybe off at school or something like that. I don't know. Got it. Okay. Uh, Nathaniel, who is now her uncle by marriage, um, mm-hmm. has a son, Fred, from a previous marriage. Fred is eight years older than Clara, and he, like, travels a lot. And, like, later in their lives, they, like, fall in love and get married. <laughs> Clara so- and Fred. And those are Agatha's parents. Okay, so they're cousins by marriage, but not blood related. Correct. And they're sort of raised like brother and sister, even though they're not, they're probably not really around each other that much. Yes, because there's enough of an age difference and Fred travels that they like wouldn't have actually been raised together, but they were like kind of raised. They were raised by at least one of the same parents. Yes. Isn't that weird? That's a lot. It's like one of those situations would that have been seems... pretty normal for the 1800s. Yeah. But all of them was just like, oh my God. I feel like that's a um, some foreshadowing into Agatha's uh, personality. <laughs> kind of. You know what I mean? 
a lot of things about her childhood are some foreshadowing into her <laughs> yeah. personality. Like Fair. her entire childhood, it's just like, oh, yep, she's been that person her whole life. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Yeah. Um. So Agatha has two older siblings, Madge and Monty. Those are nicknames, but they're they all have like ridiculously long names with like twelve middle names, as like all British people do. So <laughs> I Madge love the Monty. name Monty, by the way. Me too. I like that name. Yeah. Her whole family, like her, her and her brother and sister grow up believing that Clara, their mother, is psychic. And sure. this is where Agatha gets a lot of that, like, she really buys into that, like, spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. She's very into it, which was also true of a lot of mystery authors of that time, because Arthur Conan Doyle was the same way. Yes. Which I just find very interesting. Because the brain of a mystery author is usually so logical, and I love that, like, all of them were really into, like, psychic well, that doesn't mean she's stuff. not logical. No, I know, but I mean, like, those two things usually don't pair in, like, one person, and I find that really interesting. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It also just gives them a unique perspective on how they write stories, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, Agatha grows up in her family estate, which is called Ashfield in Torquay. She spends a year when she's about five in France with her family, but otherwise she grows up in that house. Her family is, like kind of well off and then sometimes they're not really well off like um sure. when fred's father nathaniel died he left them some money to like buy that estate and um mm-hmm. you know do all that stuff but this is a turbulent like financial time so that year that they spent in france they were like leasing out their house so that they could make some money off of it so they're they're like sort of up and down she's mostly well off but like every now and then her family has some like financial troubles you know what i mean yeah <laughs> it goes back and forth a little bit. Yeah. Um, she is educated at home while her sister is away attending boarding school. So, like, her sister and brother both, like, left the home to attend boarding school. But for some reason, her mother, like, insisted that she was educated at home. Hmm. Um, her parents teach her, like, arithmetic and music. She grows up learning a lot of different instruments. But initially, her mother didn't want to teach her how to read until she turned eight. Sure. That okay. <laughs> but what Agatha? Why eight? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I have no idea. Okay. Also, m- me, my teacher brain is like, that's too late. You, oh, you've lost all of the. Late. You've lost all of the years of actually learning how to read by then. What she knows at eight is what she knows. Like that's oh, that's not gonna work, you know. But Agatha teaches herself how to read at like a Good way mom. younger age, because she's ho- at home and she's bored. Right. So she learns. She just teaches herself how to read. So she grows up reading authors like Edith Nesbitt and Louisa May Alcott and all other kinds of very famous children's authors of that time were her influences when she was young. Mm-hmm. She grows up with not very much interaction with other children. Not none. She has a group of friends like in town, but she spends a lot of her time with her mother and her pets. So she doesn't get a lot of social stuff when she's young. Mm. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I could have guessed that based on her mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she's all, she, like, also later in life, she's just, doesn't really, she's, she doesn't dislike people. She's just, like, kind of just likes being in her house and, like, doing her stuff, you know? She's not a social person. Hey, I get it. There's a period of her life where she's a very social person, which is probably because she wasn't very social when she was younger. But yeah, when she's right. older, she sort of, like, you know. In 1901, when she's 11 years old, her father dies after a series of heart attacks. Hmm. Uh, the next year, she begins attending a girls' school in Torquay. So this is the first time she is at, in school out of the home. 
And starting in 1905, she finishes her education at a series of pension houses in Paris. So, like, when her father died, that's sort of how she marks, like, the end of her childhood, you know? Sure. Because then she leaves home to finish her schooling and all that jazz. Makes sense. Yeah. So, after she finishes school, she comes home. Her mother is, like, ailing and is kind of sick, like, right at that time when she comes home. So they decide to go spend some time in a warmer climate. So clearly they had enough money to just make that decision. I was just going to say that. To just be able to do that. Sure, of course. Yeah, I found that weird. Like, I would read about it and most of things say like, oh yeah, she's pretty well off. But then every now and then it would be like, oh yes, a time of financial trouble. But now they have enough money to just leave. I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of financial trouble. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think when they leave their home, it's another one of those situations where they, like, lease it out where they're gone. So they're, like, still making, making money, money off of it. Yeah. So in 1910, Agatha and her mother spend three months at the Gezra? Sure. Is that how you would just say that? I don't the know. The Gezra Palace Hotel in Cairo. And this is the time in her life where her social life, like, takes off. So she spends a lot of time, like, out in society. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Cocktail parties and such. Oh, and such. (laughs) And the like. Mm, Yes, yes. Also, this is an aside, and we'll probably reference it more than once, but there's a Doctor Who episode about Agatha Christie that is, like, ridiculously fantastic. It's very good. Um, It's so good. And as I was researching about her life, I realized, like, how well made that episode is. Mm. Because the, like, plots of the mystery that Agatha is unraveling, like, in real time have so many, has so many, like, little details from, like, her life, and not just her stories, like, Agatha's actual life. Like, the whole idea of, like, spending time in Egypt. Yeah, I feel like, and also I feel like they reference it, like, the doctor outwardly references it Yes, he does, yeah. Yeah. It's just, that is one of the best made history episodes. Plus plus Donna's in that one. Yes. She's my favorite. Yeah. But that particular detail, I was like, oh, man, that episode was so good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Made me think of it. So during this time in her life, she starts writing a lot of short stories, and she begins writing a novel. She sends these out to several magazines and publishers, but no one will publish her work. She just has, like, a really hard time getting anything picked up. Didn't they feel foolish later? (sighs) I was thinking that the whole time I was doing my research. I was like, these guys must have felt so dumb. (laughs) They're like the guy that rejected the Beatles. Yeah, yes. Mm. Um, Eventually some of the... (laughs) Did you just say English? No, I said foolish. Foolish. I thought you said English. I was like, what are you, what? No. Oh, geez. So eventually some of the works that she writes during this time do get published in an edited form or in short story collections, but that's not until like later when she's established does she mm-hmm. go back to that those works. In 1912, she meets Archibald Christie at a dance. Archie is an army officer for the Royal Flying Corps. And Ooh. they fall in love and get engaged very quickly. They, like, meet at a party and they're in the same social scene and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. In 1914, Archie learns that he will be stationed in France at the very beginning of World War I, like, right when it's all kicking off. Oof. So they get married on Christmas Eve, 1914, while Archie is home on leave. Uh, while he was fighting in France... 
Agatha sort of did her part for the war effort at home in England. She is a member of the voluntary the voluntary aid detachment of the Red Cross. Mm, sure. This is a quote I got from I think Wikipedia. Um, from October 1914 to May 1915, then from June 1916 to September 1918, she worked a total of 3,400 hours in the Town Hall Red Cross Hospital in Torquay, first as an unpaid nurse and then as a dispenser after she qualifies as an apothecary's assistant. Whoa. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. An apothecary's assistant. Isn't that fascinating? It I sounds like that a character was... in one of her novels. It really does. I love it. <laughs> Um, so this is the very beginning of her, like, starting to get some knowledge about, like, medicine and poison and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff that comes in handy in her writing later in her life. Yeah. In September of 1918, Archie, uh, gets posted to the war office in London. And this was, like, the time that they were able to start, like, actually living together. Like, they rent a flat mm-hmm. in London. And this is when her, like, married life begins. You know what I right. mean? In 1916, Agatha starts writing The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which is her first Hercule Poirot novel. Oh, I love Poirot. Same. I also spent a lot of time looking up how to say his name correctly. Yeah. Do you know who loves Poirot? Who? Our grandpa. Oh, yes, he does. Yes, he, he does. He sat, watch all the, like, the old series. Mm-hmm. And he had a, copies of a bunch of I remember that. House. Yeah. I remember seeing those at the house. Oh, yeah. On the bookshelf. Yeah. Or... I saw a picture yeah. from that series, like, earlier today when I was doing my research, and then I, like, had a very aggressive sense memory that I couldn't place, and that was it's, it. It was it was Grandma and Grandpa's Yes, house. yes, it was. <laughs> that was he it. had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he liked to watch those. So the character of Poirot is a former Belgian police officer who has taken refuge in Britain after Germany invades Belgium. And the character is inspired by the Belgian refugees that Agatha meets while she's working in the hospital in Torquay. That, what, what was that series on that we watched recently? The ABC Murders with John yes. Malkovich as Poirot. Yes, it's he was so good. So I can't good. remember what it was on. Prime? Maybe? Amazon Prime. I highly recommend. It's fantastic. It's yeah. so good. It's like a three or four episode miniseries, and it does more for his backstory than like almost any other Poirot Adaptation. I was just gonna say that they they really um lean into that Belgian refugee yeah they they like of... change his backstory a little bit I think they had him as like a priest instead of a police yes. officer but yes, oh my gosh it was good it was so good it touches on that social commentary very well mm-hmm, for sure anyway yeah <laughs> Uh, so she sends the story to, I think, seven different publishers over a series of a couple of years, and, like, no one will take it. Again, idiots. Yes. In 1919, she sends it to John Lane at the Boldly Head. Is that how you would say that? Do you think? Sure. Boldly yeah. Head Publishing House, who offers to accept it as long as Agatha changes the ending, which she does. So I've, I've heard this before. So originally, it ended with, like, a courtroom scene, and he said that she should end it with, like, a um, confrontation at the library kind of scene, which became such a signature of hers, so. Yeah, I've heard that story before. 
I always think it's like bummer that that guy like made her change her story, but it did work out well, for the best because that I like was what she. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's easy to be like that publisher just didn't respect our work, but that's what publishers do. You know, they say this is going to be more effective. Oh yeah, and in a normal situation, I would say that. But the contract that she gets under with this guy ends up being like really manipulative, and she gets like no money well, out of it. So like yeah, that's why I'm like that, that kind of sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I but I I don't think I can be mad at him for making her change. Yeah, the, ending. No. the rest I can be mad yeah. at him for. So she gets contracted with this publishing house to produce five more books. And like I said, she later realizes that that contract was, like, really exploitative and she was getting, like, no money for the work that she was putting in. And eventually she goes to a different publisher. And I think if I was reading it correctly, the publisher that she goes to after that was, like, the original HarperCollins. Oh, okay. It was, like, the William Collins and Sons or something like that. It I was see. The, yeah. the original Do you know if the five other books she was supposed to be publishing for that first publisher, were they all supposed to be Poirot books or were they supposed to be just like any books? I think they were supposed to be any books because the next one wasn't a Poirot. Her next okay. book was a Tommy and Tuppets okay. novel. Gotcha. Um, I, I think the next couple after that were a Poirot, but I think it was just five more books. I was to just my curious. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yes. So that story is finally published in 1920. So she had been writing for like almost 10 years before she got published. That, that's pretty common. Um, also in 1919, Agatha gives birth to her first and only child, Rosalind. Uh, World War One has ended by this point. So Archie gets a job in the financial district in London. So she's able to like sort of have her little family life. Mm-hmm. She's able to begin writing her novels and she introduces a lot of other characters like like i said tommy and tuppence were the next were the characters of the next novel and i think at least one of the these early ones is a miss marple but that might be later i love miss marple so in 1922 agatha and archie joined the world tour of the british empire exhibition Mm. which was just like look at how great our colonization efforts have been over the years um come praise us yes yeah um in 10 months, they traveled to South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Hawaii, and Canada. Different sources I read said different things about this next fact, whether it happened in Cape Town or in Hawaii, I'm not sure. But they learn to surf while they're on one of those trips. And Agatha becomes the first British woman to surf standing up. So weird. Why and is cool. that a thing we know? How do we know that? I don't yeah. know, but I find it ridiculously delightful. I guess the first documented woman. It's very e- it could easily have been that other British women did that, but nobody right took note. But <laughs> it, it was also that like surfing wasn't that common, and most pe- people surfed prone. Well, like certainly wasn't common for British people. Oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> But surfing for like travelers, for like international travelers, mm-hmm. they usually taught them to surf prone because they that was right. safer and they, you know, that's what they were able to do. But I just, I thought that was so interesting that that's she's cool. the first at least documented British woman to surf standing up. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So Agatha's mother dies in April of 1926. And this was really hard for her because she was really close to her mother. Um, and it also is just the start of a really bad year for Agatha Christie. Yeah, like starting to get Victoria flashbacks just looking yeah. um, ahead in your notes a little bit. Here. Yeah, it's uh, it's rough. So let's get into this. Okay. 
this is the thing that I feel like most people probably know about Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. So in August of 1926, Archie tells Agatha that he wants a divorce because he has fallen in love with a family friend, Nancy Neal. Neely? Neal? Sure. Sure. Um, They were like both golfers and that's how they like Ugh. met and how they spent time and Agatha was like not that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, Agatha and Archie get into some kind of fight. I don't think it was like a physical thing or anything, just like a normal, like they just are fighting yeah. about their situation. On December 3rd, 1926, and late that evening, Agatha like goes upstairs, says goodnight to her daughter, and then just leaves their home. And she goes missing for 11 days. Oh. She just like. Keep going. <laughs> they have a fight. It's mostly fine. She, you know, like she recovers. She says goodnight. She leaves. Nobody sees her for 11 days. That's, oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to jump okay. around a little bit in this, but yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, By yeah. the time the investigation ends, over a thousand police officers will have been assigned to the case. Around 15,000 citizens volunteer to search, and this is the first time airplanes are used to aid a police search. You know, the things that happen when a white woman goes missing for 11 days. <laughs> you know? I mean, nothing yep. against Agatha personally, but like, come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of resources. Yes. The next morning... They find her car abandoned at the edge of a rock quarry yes, at they do. Newlands Corner. <laughs> I just, it's, it's always crazy every time I hear it. In the car was an expired driver's license and some of her clothes. There are no signs of an accident of any kind. There's no signs of a struggle. Her car is just parked at the edge of a rock quarry. Wild. And they find it the next morning. Yeah. So it's not like they're searching for that for a really long time. They find right. it the next morning. Uh, the home secretary, William Joyson Hicks, begins pressuring police to work quickly to find her because she's a major public figure. Right. <laughs> I love this detail. <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle gives a medium one of her gloves to help try and find her. I've heard that before. And I, I another mystery novelist who I didn't know or, like, couldn't remember also, like, went to the, like, scene of her disappearance and tried to, like, help them figure it out. Yeah, because they thought that they were investigators since they wrote mystery novels, which is like, come on, relax. Right, right. It's ridiculous. Her disappearance makes the front page of the New York Times, which is actually a big deal because she, like, she was popular in She's America, not, but she wasn't, like, yeah. a, an American national treasure like she was in England, right? So, like, that's a huge deal that her disappearance makes the front page of the New York Times. People begin to speculate about her disappearance. I realize I wrote that down wrong in my notes. I'm fixing it because it will drive me crazy. (laughs) Uh, Some people. Thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're both trying to correct the spelling of one word at the same time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Some think that her husband killed her. Others think that she killed herself. And a lot of people believe that the disappearance is fake and it's just a publicity stunt for her new book. And this was something that started coming around, like, at while she was missing, but then also, like, after they find her, that's, that's like, a right. big, like, people, the public think, oh, it's just a publicity stunt. 
On December 14th, Agatha is found at the Swan Hydropathic Hotel in Harrogate, which is just like a spa hotel. She had checked in as Teresa Neal from Cape Town, Africa. So her fake name she used when she checked in was the same last name as the um, woman that her husband is having an affair with, which is wild. She's like, seems perfectly healthy. She had been acting very normal at her stay at the hotel. Like, it seemed like nothing was wrong. A member of the hotel staff recognized her and notified the police. That's, like, that's the only reason they found her. Because otherwise, she was, like, fine. They didn't suspect anything because she was just, like, normal. And it took up until then and enough people, like, seeing her face everywhere for somebody to go, oh, that's that woman. (laughs) When Archie comes to get her from the hotel, she doesn't recognize him and has no memory of what happened to her. Absolutely wild. That is crazy. Cannot fathom. It's and this I, is, oh, it, it makes me crazy that this is one of those things we're just never going to we're know. We're never going to know. You Again, I'm having one of those moments where it's like, if you could get to the afterlife and speak to someone. Oh, this is one. She's on this my list. She's high on my list. I want to know. This is a big one for me because I really want to know what happened to her. I want to know if she remembered what she did. Like during that time, like, like, I know. does she remember? Like, if she remembers those eleven days, she just doesn't or, remember like yes. why she was there or what she was doing. Yeah, oh. I have no idea. Oh. At the time, the like prevalent theory was that she might have crashed her car and had a small concussion, which resulted in temporary memory loss. But like I said, there was no sign that the car crashed. Yeah, her car wasn't wrecked; it was just parked. Yeah, and she wasn't hurt. And she just left stuff in it and walked away. Yeah. Yep. Uh, The prevalent theory now is that she suffered from a fugue state, like a legitimate one. Right. Like an actual medical fugue state, which was triggered by the stress and depression that she was feeling about the loss of her mother and the state of her marriage. And that state caused temporary amnesia. I mean, that's so the not most just likely memory thing. loss, not just memory loss, like actual amnesia. Yeah, that happens when you enter a fugue state a lot of the time. Yeah. Yep. That makes the most sense to me. It's the same, same. kind of thing that happens to someone who has like, say, dissociative identity disorder. Uh-huh. And they like go into what we would consider a fugue state, but mm-hmm. it's really just another like facet of, it's another like facet alter, of their brain and yeah, alter yeah, yeah. fronting. And it's yeah. like. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. Well, and it's like stuff like this happened to like Vincent Van Gogh. He, there would be periods yeah. that he would not remember because that's what his brain was doing to cope. And like, I it's think that's what happened mechanism. to her. Like, it's I think a- that that her, she just like that fight that they had that evening was her last straw and yeah. her brain to try and help her deal with it. Protect her, yeah. Just turned it off. And she just, just was gone for a few days and she has no memory of it. Very temporary amnesic wall. Yeah. Yep. Very wild. Uh, Agatha would never mention this event again in her personal life. She never wrote about it in her biography. It was just like, after it happened, it was as if it never happened. I wonder if it ever happened to her again and we just don't know because she never There was a short period after they find her that she was in and out of some care. I think it was mostly, like, with family members and, like, maybe some doctors. But, like, for a period of time, she was looked after before she was allowed to just, like, be in her home as normal. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't a very long period. uh, And it's also something she never 
spoke about. So it's possible that in those like few following days she was like well, that, but it didn't last very long. Right. I just mean like throughout the rest of her life. Oh, yeah. Nothing like this happened again. And that's mm-hmm. so interesting to me. Yeah. I, I mean, that we know of. Nothing yeah. Like that There's also a part of me that genuinely wonders if she did, did actually remember and just told people she didn't she because didn't. she didn't want to talk about it. Right. I mean, that's also like, very possible. I think it's totally possible that, like, they had that fight and she was like, I'm done. I need to just, like, be uh, alone yeah, again, for some time. An, an easy explanation that yeah. absolutely could have happened. Yeah. Like, I just need to be by myself. I'm going to go to a spa and I'm going to be alone and nobody needs to know that I'm there. Yeah. And when she was, like, found, I think she might have just, like – been like oh i don't remember it for the sake of like because she didn't want to talk about it she didn't want to have to deal with it right yeah i think those are the two most likely i'm really curious i'm really curious as to if she if she knew what was happening or not if she actually had amnesia or not like that's really interesting to me but isn't it fantastic that easily the greatest mystery writer of all time disappeared mystery gave us a real mystery that was part of her life that's why people thought she faked it because she was such a good mystery writer oh it's just fantastic to me yeah so after that like period of time where she's sort of like looked after and her health is checked on and she's like people seem to think okay you're fine you can return to your normal life as normal as it can be at that point she divorces her husband in uh, 1928 she gets custody of rosalind and she has the right to keep christy as her surname for the sake of her writing because at this point she's a public figure she's a public figure and it's that's like that's the name that's the brand (laughs) like she needs it Mm -hmm. in the fall of 1928 agatha takes the orient express to istanbul and then on to baghdad which was actually, like, one of her, like, lifelong dreams. She wanted yeah. to travel on the Orient Express, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, while she's there, she visits an archaeology site at Ur and meets the Woolies, which are a husband and wife archaeologist team who are running the site. They become really good friends, and they invite her to, like, come back to that site in the next year, like, the next time she's visiting. During that next trip, she meets Max Malowin, who is an archaeologist who is 13 years younger than her. Wow. Okay. Wow. But <laughs> at this point in her life, it's like she's, I don't know, almost 40. So yeah, he's I mean, like late they're both 20s. Grown. They're both grown. Right. That over this time, while she's visiting the site, they spend a lot of time together and they like enjoy each other's company. He proposes to her, and they get married on September 11th, 1930, and they'll be together for the rest of uh, her life. Mm-hmm. He's a good dude, Max. I like Max. <laughs> for the next several years, Agatha and Max go through periods of, like, living and working in London and her writing, like, a lot, like, all day, every day, and then traveling while Max worked on his dig sites. So right. they would, like, she would live at home, and he would maybe be on a dig site or something, and then she would go and travel, and she would, like, write in the mornings and the evenings, but during the day she would, like, help at the dig site. Mm. It's just, it's very cool. They're, they're, yeah. they're very adventurous, and I like their lives together. Yeah. Uh, because of this, a lot of the books that she writes during this time are set in the Middle East, and a lot of them involve, like, a lot of archaeology and um, sure. Egyptology and all that kind of stuff. Makes sense. Which is interesting because she spent time in Cairo when she was young and didn't develop an interest for any of that stuff then. It wasn't until later, for, later in her life that she 
well, she developed that interest interest in that kind of stuff. I guess she was also with her mother yeah. there and was probably caring for her a lot and wasn't really thinking about that. Yeah. So during World War II, Agatha volunteers at the dispensary at University College Hospital in London. While she's working in the dispensary, this is also another time in her life where she learns like a lot about mm-hmm. medicines and poisons. This this period specifically is where she gains like a lot of that knowledge. The doctor that she was working with there was like super super knowledgeable, mm. and she uses all this knowledge knowledge a lot in her novels. Right, I love this fact. She uses thallium poisoning as a plot device in *The Pale Horse*, and her description of what happens to a body when they are poisoned by thallium is so accurate that it was used to solve multiple real cases where thallium was used as the murder weapon. Yeah. I've heard that one before. And I don't think this is the only case this, that her novels were used to solve real murders, but this is the most famous case is the, the pale horse and the thallium poisoning. Cause she was, she just knew what she was talking about. Wild. Uh, Here's another uh, incredibly fun fact to me. In 1941, Agatha publishes N or M, which is about a hunt for a pair of fifth columnists in wartime England. She names a character Major Bletchley after the code-breaking center uh, Bletchley Park, like after Mm -hmm. the name of that place. MI5 investigates her because they are worried that she has a spy in Bletchley Park. hilarious that's great agatha says i was stuck there on my way by train from oxford to london and took revenge by giving the name to one of my least lovable characters (laughs) that is so fantastic to me she's that good man she's fantastic i love that her novel was good enough that they were like oh wait do we need to she knows something do we need to check on her and she's just like what (laughs) She knows something. Somehow. It's like that episode of Parks and Rec where Leslie just guess, like guesses that um, <clears throat> Dex Hart. Oh, yeah. I like, just, just watched that the, the other day. <laughs> exact details of his scandal, right? It's yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. On September 21st, 1943, Agatha becomes a grandmother when her Aww. daughter Rosalind gives birth to her son, Matthew. Aww. In 1956, she is appointed commander of the Order of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. In 1968, Max is knighted for his archaeological archaeological work. Wow! Wow! Agatha is promoted to Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 1971. Whoa! They were one of the few married couples where both partners were honored in their own right. I was just thinking that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. From 1968, when Max got knighted, she was able to be referred to at that time as uh, commander of the British Empire, right? And yeah. then later dame. But she was also able to be referred to as Lady Malouin because her, because husband, her husband was knighted. Was knight. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? That's very cool. Just like, what, what a power couple. Yeah, right. That Yes, true definition of a power couple. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, around this time, Agatha's health starts to decline. Recent research suggests that she may have suffered from Alzheimer's or dementia in the last few years of her life. They, like, have analyzed some of her, like, private writings from that period and have said, like, oh, that might have been 
why she was the way she was in the last few years of her life. Now that's interesting. Isn't it? Because it suggests that her fugue state episode might not be so randomized if she did have a fugue state, that that might have been something her brain was already predisposed to. Huh. I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense, though. If, in fact, she didn't actually remember what was happening. Right, right. Uh, Her last public appearance is in 1974 at the film premiere of an adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express. And the website I was reading this information from said, like, her review was that it was a good adaptation, but uh, Poirot's mustache was not, like, twirly enough or something silly (laughs) like that. Like, I just thought that was great. I love that. Agatha dies at age 85 of natural causes on January 12th, 1976, in her home in Wallingford, Oxfordshire. I guess I never really thought about the fact that, like, 1976 is recent. I I can't stop thinking about that fact. Another one of those times where it's like, it all happened more closely together than you realize. Like, she was born before the Titanic sank. Right. And she lived until, like, Queen started making music. Our parents were alive. How does your brain, like, I can't imagine. <laughs> she lived through one of the most changing periods of history. Oh, yeah. I mean, it two world wars. Two world wars, the invention of cars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Electricity in the home. <laughs> yeah. The Great Depression. Like, I. how do you, it's wild the mm-hmm. amount of stuff that she lived through. And I know that's true of a lot of people, but I had just never thought about that until I saw her death date. We think of her, because we think of her as an historical figure, we think of her as living way longer And she is such an iconic image of the 20s and 30s that that's like where our brains keep her. Yeah, that's true. It's just so interesting. She is buried in the churchyard of St. Mary's Chosley, which is near Wallingford, the town where she died in. Mm-hmm. Max remarries in 1977 but dies in 1978 and he's buried next to Agatha um, I really really liked this excerpt from her obituary in the Times not the New York Times the London Times or whatever Yeah, it says she was a shy person she disliked public appearances but she was friendly and sharp witted to me by inclination as well as breeding, she belonged to the English upper middle class. She wrote about and for people like herself. That was an essential part of her charm. That's I very just good. enjoyed that. I just yeah. thought that was a nice way to sort of Summer. round off her life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the rights to her works are still in her family and are managed by her grandson and great grandson. There was a whole section of wikipedia that was like all of the information about like when she founded the agatha christie trust and like all of this stuff and i was oh, like i don't yeah. understand any of that <laughs> i was like there's too much like too much money too much this person owns this present this open yeah. i can't but i know that her her grandson and great-grandson are still like involved in the choosing of like merchandising and rights and all of that jazz they, her manuscripts and that yes yeah. yeah in her life she wrote 66 detective novels, 14 short story collections, 30 plays, and six romance novels under the pen name Mary Westmacott. Maycott, I don't know. That is a lot of that writing. That is a lot. And that's just like 
the best that I could find and like count in my own brain. That right. might not be a perfectly accurate number, but like that's wow. a lot, a, a lot. lot of work. She is the best-selling novelist of all time. Mm-hmm. Her works are third most published in the world behind Shakespeare and the Bible. Yeah. She is the most translated individual author, having been translated into at least 103 languages. Wow. Her stage play, The Mousetrap, holds the world record for the longest initial run. It opened at the Ambassador's Theater in the West End on November 25th, 1952, and as of April 2019, was still running after more than 27,000 performances. Crazy. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I've never read The Mousetrap, but... Me either. I should. Yes. (laughs) I should. I just... She just had the... She had a really interesting life. She's an interesting person. Her legacy is incredible. Yeah. Like, I love that the best she the that the best-selling novelist of all time is a woman yeah <laughs> that is and that's, so fantastic it's like not even it's like not even close yeah not even <laughs> close and it's it's like her contemporary was arthur conan doyle yeah. shakespeare is one of the most iconic or shakespeare good lord sherlock doyle. is oh, one yeah, of the yeah, most yeah. iconic figures like public figures of all time and she is still has sold better translated more published more than than any Sherlock alone. And and mystery is difficult. It's yes. hard. And it doesn't appeal to a lot of people mm-hmm. just, you know, normally. Yeah. Generally speaking, it doesn't appeal to as many people. But she was just that good. Yeah. And she kept it interesting every time. Like, mm-hmm. none of her mystery novels are uninteresting. Yeah. She had an she, incredible mind. She wrote good characters. She, yes. like, always came up with, like innovative plots but she's also like the sole like author of the mystery formula we know today oh yeah that there are tropes that exist because she wrote them Mm -hmm. and there are tropes that existed before her that she adapted in such a way that they are now the new trope yeah yes like she it's just incredible to think about the work that she did in her life she's amazing i just think she's the coolest i do too i'm glad you picked her me too she had a really cool life i really like her Yes, good choice. Um, well, history's great, but today is cool too. What's your favorite thing about modern times? Oh, God bless. I thought for a second there I had forgotten it, but then it just started. You can like, never just forget. Happened. Never forget. I also love that every time we trans- transition into the um, song for modern times that it's just like there's no transition. It's just like, um, well, here's a thing I would like to tell you, and it's a song. <laughs> That's the essence of, of modern times. The intro to yeah. modern times. Do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? I can go first. Okay. We'll do that. Uh, my modern times thing is art prints. Ooh, you do love art prints. I love art prints. I have so many art prints. Yeah, you do. <laughs> they cover every inch of my walls. <laughs> I just love them. I love having art from a lot of different artists. I like having different, like, um ideas and like adaptations of my favorite characters mm-hmm. i like supporting artists yeah and i like that it is a thing that i can own a print of someone's art without having to spend like a lot of money on the original piece <laughs> yeah 
because that that sometimes makes that art inaccessible Absolutely. even though like i want those people to make that money on that original piece of art because it's an incredible thing that they do but like i don't have the money to own that so the fact that like art prints exist and i am able to have the cool thing that they made in a form that is like accessible to me i just think is very cool yeah, I feel it. it's good for me because it means I always know I can get you an art print for Correct. a gift and you will like it. <laughs> Even though I have no more space on my wall. I know. Well, I think that every time. I'm like, oh, I could buy that for Amanda. She doesn't have anywhere to put that. Yep. Yeah. Pretty soon, though, I will have a classroom to dump about half of it in. Mm-hmm. Don't think and, I'm not thinking about that. And then I will have more room at on my own walls. And that's what <laughs> we'll do then. <laughs> Making more space for my own private collection at home. And also on the walls of a classroom. <laughs> Yeah. Art prints. Art prints. That's a good one. Um, Mine is food delivery services. Ooh, that's a good one. I use them a lot. I'm talking DoorDash. I'm talking Grubhub. I'm talking Postmates, which I don't actually use as much. Um, But I I love the idea that I can have food delivered to me from so many different places and I only have to go one place to yes. make that happen. Pretty pretty fantastic. And it's really good because I have an anxiety disorder and mm-hmm. sometimes it feels very overwhelming to me to have to prepare meals and if I don't if I didn't have delivery services, there would be days when I would just like forget to eat. Right. Not like a uh, in a harming way. I just wouldn't think about it. Right. So um, sometimes it's good to just be like, oh, order something. Get and something. that'll that'll be exactly what you need. <laughs> yeah. And I can get McDonald's delivered to my house. I mean, hello. That was literally my dream in high school and college. <laughs> like, God, I wish that were me. There were so many times during my college life where I said out loud to all the people around me, I wish we could get McDonald's delivered. Yeah. And now I, I also can't. wish I could get McDonald's delivered. I just don't live in a big yeah. enough place for that to no. be a thing. I can get McDonald's. I can get uh, Wendy's. I can get Taco Bell. Oh, That's the I best wish that one. Were me. Yeah. I am still delighted by its existence, though. It's. it's I mean, great. you use it when you're here. I do. We order stuff a lot. Yes. Yeah, that's mine. That's very good. I love it. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning about Agatha Christie. She's amazing. Um, I don't know what is happening next time. <laughs> Haven't thought about it. Um, That's fine. That's everything. We'll figure it out. Everything's yeah, fine. I'll think of something. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have suggestions for what you would like to hear, um, or if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at rttpod. Um, and hey, you can give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb, and I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Nice. So hey, our next episode is a mystery, ha ha ha, because we don't know oh, what's going to happen. Wow, get it? Get <laughs> oh, it? Wow, I'm very funny. I apologize to our friends and family on Amanda's behalf. <laughs> Well, until that mysterious next time, (laughs) remember that time.